watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser. I've worked as either a character animator or a director on more than 30 projects, both short and feature length, and my favorite projects have been my short film, Layers, and these books, Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, that I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios films. I actually have an update on that journey. I wrote on Tuesday the words, the end, for the rough draft of my next project. It will be a book and a feature film pitch, so who for that? <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about my wonderful guests that I have here. I have Jasmine Katatakarn and Mike Tenzillo. They are both lighting experts in the area of CG animation, and that's one of my favorite zones. We'll get to talk about that in a bit. Uh, also, Mike and Jasmine have started this online school, the Academy of Animated Art, which they teach both lighting and animation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right yes. now, our, our main focus, because we're lighters and we started the school, we do have a robust lighting curricula. Uh, we're in the process of developing the animation side of things. Uh, as of right now, we have a mentorship program with uh, Becky Tower, who's, I was screwing her job, she's like the head of the animation, and she's, she's working one-on-one. Yeah, our main courses are in lighting. Okay, great, wonderful. Awesome. And, and they're a really great tie-in because I actually attended an online school, and the, the production I want to do is actually going to help production. Hopefully, so uh, we get to talk about that and the pitfalls of that, how to how to navigate that space. That'll be wonderful. So the first question I had for you, Mike and Jasmine, is what drew you to the directing animation live cast? Yeah. So uh, the biggest thing for us is a few years ago, Jasmine and I wrote a lighting book and uh, called Lighting for Animation. Yeah, that as well. Um, Good title. <laughs> and we, yeah, and, and when we were pitching the book, we really were uh, interested in getting a, a diverse range of images. So what we did was we were reaching out to uh, people who directed and created animated shorts, people who were just in the industry and passionate and interested. And what we found when we reached out to people is just how inspirational they were, how amazing they were, how open to share everything that they were. And so uh, through that process, Jasmine and I have just kind of maintained that idea that we always want to be reaching out uh, to people in the industry who are doing cool things and talking to them. And we discovered your podcast and seen a couple of the uh, YouTube episodes and we reached out to you because we were excited to clearly you're passionate about this and we just wanted mm-hmm. to just wanted to talk with you and connect with you. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. It's just really great to have behind the scenes what really and how love that you share that. I'm sorry, I re- like you cut out like half of that was cut out. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, it sounded like you said you really like to see what goes on behind the scenes. And I think you gave me a compliment, which would have been lovely to hear. <laughs> I, I gave you so many compliments. Yeah. You didn't hear it. Um, but this is basically like the insider view of what really goes on. Behind the scenes. Cut out again? Uh, you did. I gave you another compliment. <laughs> <laughs> like, his looks are so dashing and, and all that. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Awesome. And it's wonderful to have you. So, so welcome. Thank you. So the first, the first question I would like to talk about is uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of lighting. And when I would animate different things in the different studios, I would, I would often check almost daily my shots to see if they'd been lit yet. <laughs> I just love the magic of see your, your shot with no lighting, everything looks kind of bland. And then suddenly you see this other artist who comes and adds all this atmosphere and, and lighting and texture to your shot. And it's just a wonderful, exciting thing. So I'm excited to, to get ask you about it. So let's pretend like I am just, I came from 2D animation. I don't even know what lighting for animation. Could you give me the basic rundown of what is involved in that and what I need to know as a director? To giving you a- yeah. Sure. All right. A- um, so lighting for uh, a CG animated film, uh, basically, like you mentioned, 
when we inherit the shot, we have a shot that's already been animated, already been a set built. There's already usually, depending on the studio, been material supplied, fur simulated, and cloth simulated. And, and but it, it is, it's very gray, it's very even. Uh, and what we do is we work with an art director, director who has a vision for the shot, a mood, a certain, something with the story that they're looking to. So they'll say something like, you know, they'll, they'll generally have paintings of, of reference of looks that they would like to achieve in the shot. And then it's our job to take that vision, take the existing scene, and then add lights to the shot to help achieve. When I say add lights, we do it in a 3D software package. The way I always tell people to imagine uh, a stage play. And the actors are already there, the props are already built, everything's set up, and it's our job to add lights to the production. Uh, do three things mostly. One, like I said, emphasize the mood. Number two is direct the viewer's eye so that they know which character to look at. If the character is something in their hand, they know to focus in on that. And then um, uh, number three is, we're a, even though we're 3D animation, we're still a, a flat medium, like, you know, it's still a projected image or something that appears on the screen. And what we want to do is con- the 3D space. So one of the things that we really want to do is create visual shaping. So lots of uh, light to dark areas, lots of fall off, add visual interest. And those are really the three main things we're looking at. Emphasizing the mood, direct the viewer. Yeah, great. I, I heard everything except for that. And I think I actually have a noise gate on you, so I'm really going to adjust this really quick. Okay, I don't I don't think we'll lose you anymore. <laughs> okay, Hopefully. You want me to repeat anything? What? You want me to repeat that last bit? No, just, yeah, the, summarize the last three things really sure. quickly. yeah. So the three things that you focus on as a CG lighting artist are uh, enhancing the mood of the story because we're all storytellers in the in the uh, animation industry. So we're all doing our part to enhance the story. Yeah. Step two is we're directing the viewer's eye to the most important elements within the image using color, light, contrast. And then number three is we're crafting and sculpting visual shaping into the shot just to add some visual uh, dynamics to it and make the image more beautiful. Yeah, that's wonderful. And actually, that, that's how background design works as well in 2D animation. So it's, it's interesting uh, that now our language has converged a lot. Where when we were first moving into CG, it was a little bit confusing. Uh, I don't think that somebody would have a difficult transition yeah. from maybe 2D to... Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just artists creating beautiful images. And the foundation of what makes a beautiful image, whether you're doing it in painting or photography or film, is all kind of the same visual language. And so we're just doing our part to make pretty images. Yeah, yeah, great. And I'm also fascinated with how light works. I actually uh, became the director, creative director of a company where they had never done live action production before and they wanted all these Kickstarter videos made. So I had to go and kind of relearn in a way because I'd only worked in animation. I had to learn all all about uh, production. And there's a lot of lighting that goes very fascinating. So I think that's another reason it excites me because it's kind of like alchemy in a way. Especially because you take that image that an art director painted, kind of what's in their imagination, and then you mm-hmm. go and you use it with electronic tools. Yeah. So what are some things that you wish directors understood about the lighting process with giving notes? That's a good question. I guess it, the thing is, it all depends on the director, because some directors are very much attuned with light. Others, maybe they're not that familiar with it. So I guess what I'd like to see, let's say the, the people that maybe aren't that familiar with lighting is and eventually they do learn as they go through the process but how lighting just like any part of the pipeline is the focus is the same thing everyone's trying to tell the story right it's all about how do we best tell the story and 
through animation, you tell the story, and through lighting, it complements it in telling the story. For example, if an animator lit some, uh, animator animated something, but the lighter puts it in the dark, then like, what's the point of that, right? Yeah. So we have to complement each other. And that same thing that goes with lighting, it's like this invisible type of storytelling where you not only are we maybe high, like directing where the viewer's eye goes, but we're showing the viewer what kind of mood it is yeah. through the light, through the color. Is it, is it a sad scene? Is it a happy scene? And it's all these things that people don't realize are happening in their mind, but yeah. it's all being crafted through lighting. So I think that is um, an important aspect of lighting that people probably don't realize that the, it's a compliment to, it's very important to telling the story at just as important as animation or any other part of the pipeline. And it's just like an invisible thing that you probably didn't realize. But then when you realize it, you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I, like it makes a very um, big difference. Yeah. I really liked how you talked about it as invisible story. <laughs> Are there other aspects of uh, what? One, one of the things that we say, it's, it's very similar to like the score of a film. Like yeah. you don't necessarily notice that it's there, but if it's ever missing or off, you're very aware of it. So we like to be, yeah, like an, un, an unsung hero pulling at the heartstrings of the viewers as they're watching. Yeah. When people around my office know that, that I talk about the invisible uh, story structure that we put into stories and how if it's not there, people notice, but you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to see it. And so they're used to hearing that. But when I mentioned that I was going to have lighters on their show, like, what's, you know, what is that? You know, it's kind of a mystery thing. So I, I think that in some ways lighting is actually a visible thing in the process. That's another reason I'm excited to get to talk to you. I also, question that I had for you. Oh, yeah. So as an animator, I would get notes sometimes that, oh, you know, they, they hurt, <laughs> you know, yeah. to get those kinds of notes. What, what do those notes look like for you as lighters? Oh. oh, they all hurt. <laughs> Just bring on the pain. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, one, you know, when you present, you know, in rounds and day, like we are shots for daily views. That's how we move forward and we get critiques. So you have to learn not to be um, too sensitive about the comments. Hmm. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, the ones that hurt the most are the ones I already know. Because like sometimes you put something up oh, and you yeah. know it's like a work in progress and you like see it and you like for me personally, I like cringe. I'm like, oh, like they have to see they're, they're going to see it because they need to see the work in progress. But, you know, you could do better. Those are the comments. Like, like if I see, you know, the shaping is not there maybe this character is falling flat and to hear it. That just because it's like, oh, I know I could do better. But then that's great, too, because it's like getting feedback and pushes you even further. Like. I think the worst feedback is showing your shot and being like, oh, that's good. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm like, and then you're like how am I going to grow? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. That's me. I like that point that the, about the shots, the uh, notes you already know, though, because I think, I think that helps you, too, because in the back of your mind, there are things you kind of sense, mm. but you're like, I, I don't know if that's really applicable. And then when you show it and somebody confirms that, you're like, yeah, I, I knew that in the back of your mind. And it trains you as an artist as well to see, to catch those notes yourself. as you. Exactly. And I will say, so those are the most painful notes. But the best notes are the ones that you don't see, right? The oh, ones yeah. that they will like say, you know, that could be adjusted or that that shadow is too dark or something. And then you're like, oh, you're right. Like, yeah. and also like, that's where I feel like the growth really happens. Things that you don't see, too. It's like, oh, and their suggestion makes so much sense once 
say it. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. That's the best note to get is one that inspires you. To, and it, I was, I was talking about additive notes versus uh, subtractive ones. Subtractive ones was like, this is too bright. Take this down. This oh, is too yeah. Reduce, reduce, reduce. Yeah. Uh, additive notes that I really liked are like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if, okay. So this character sitting on the back of this bird and the bird's wings are flapping. Wouldn't it be cool if like the bounce light underneath them, like kind of animated with the flapping of the wings because the, the wings opening up would actually bat, like block more light coming up from under. You're like, yeah, that would be cool. And then you kind of do it and it makes the shot more dynamic. Th- those are, those are my favorites. The ones that get me are, so when we review shots, Lots of times we'll just look at the shot looped over and over and over and over. I'm sure you guys get this animation too. And um, lots of times, so if you pay attention to films, I mean, you guys know this, that a shot could be seven frames long. It could be a quarter of a second long and it goes by like that. And as the lighting artist, you're like, okay, we just really need the audience to focus on this one thing. So you, and and it's like zooming past, you make it extra bright because you know, once it gets motion blurred, it'll be, but, but then it's like, but then you show it and it's so painful because it'll, it'll, they'll look at a non-motion blurred version of it and they'll just like step through frame it by frame, frame by frame. <laughs> and you're like, look, I'm going to on this frame. I need to do like, I remember Jasmine. It's a 10 frame shot. I had a 10 frame You had a 10 frame shot, yeah. It was like years, I, forget, I even forget. It was one of the real uh, movies or I forget which film we were working on. Jasmine had this quick shot and I remember she was like animating the position of the key light around it. So it was just like, and it was, it was like a 10 it was frame like a shot. 10 frame shot. And, I was animating. And I was it's like, what am I doing? And then you go to the, you go to the big premiere and you get dressed up and then you go in the theater and that shot just like zooms right past and you're like this week of agonizing over it. <laughs> <laughs> just like tweaking it, doing this, like nobody, it's just like a big blurry mess. Oh, it made all the difference. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I well, mean, and as I a director, I, I, I've learned from producers that I need to think a lot about budget. And I think one of those things is like, is it worth this lighting list, you know, spending a whole week on this shot that people aren't even, they'll just only kind of feel. But yeah, that's, that's awesome. So as, as educators, you have all these students coming through, through your pipeline. Are there things that you wish that they could get? Are there things that you wish that they could understand? Or- yeah. yeah. The one, the one for me is that working in the industry, we don't have special tools. Right. Like that was a big misconception I had when I was in school is that like, oh, the, the stuff that you have in Maya or whatever 3D software package is like, OK, that's great. But like, look at these beautiful images they're making at you know the major studios. I'm sure they have all these crazy tools once you get there. And then at the time I got here at, uh, at Blue Sky and the tools were actually because it was proprietary. It was actually a step back from a lot of the stuff that we had. Interesting. So, but you learn quickly that it's it's not about the tool. It's about the craft. It's about the artistry of it. It's about being able to create a, a beautiful image. So I, we always make the example of like, if you're a painter, you might think like, oh man, if I just could save up some money and buy this amazing paintbrush, then I can make the beautiful image. And you realize that it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. No one cares what paintbrush you use. They care if you have the eye to make a beautiful image. So that's that's something I, I really wish, not so much the students, but I, I learned that faster. Yeah, that's what the students, like the one of the first questions students ask us is, what software yeah. Oh, that's no. the same with animation. What yeah. software do you use? Yeah, that's exactly. a good question. They're so obsessed with the software and the tools, and they're missing the whole point. The whole focus is not the software, about learning the craft, and mm-hmm. that's what's going to be further. So I think that's what we hope and we we, we are instilling in it. It's not the software I teach you. And that's actually the main inspiration of why we started the school in the first place, because I know that Jasmine and I both didn't receive that level of education before we got into the industry. So we really had to learn it on the job. Yeah. And only after a few years of being in this industry, did we look back and go, wow, there were some holes that we really, really wish that we had. 
And then just through talking and going out to lunch occasionally, we would uh, we we came up with this idea like why not us? Like why couldn't we be the ones that that teach people this thing? Yeah. And so that's that's what birthed the uh, Academy of Animated Art was just this idea that we would love to fill in the gaps that traditional education uh, didn't provide for us. We love we love to be the class that we wish we had when we were going through school. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm always recommending an- online schools to people. There's never been one for lighting that I've known of. So <laughs> now I know about yours. So I will be recommending your school to students who are interested in that. And it, how how is the, the competition in lighting in the industry? I know there are tons of animators. I often tell people that a rigging is a really great way to get into the industry because those, those people are a little bit rarer because they like that technology and the art kind of meshed all together. But they're a little bit more heavy on the technology. How is it for lighting? I would say, I mean, I'd say lighting is definitely less competitive than mm-hmm. animation. A lot of people don't know about lighting. Which right, yeah. yeah, they don't even know it's this kind of this specialty. Everyone knows an animator, right? As like, yeah. oh, you're being, I mean, we still get like, what do mm-hmm. you do? And then you have to go through the whole thing. So there's definitely less competition, I would say, than animation. Mm-hmm. There is competition, though. It is. It, so I know I can speak from uh, my personal standpoint that like this is a really cool job, right? Like we get to craft images that are in animated films that get released around the world and it's uh it's and we make a good living doing it and all that stuff and it's 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 a great job so i think once once you're in it like it does get a little because like i've i've been here for over 11 years you've been same company for 10 years like we yeah. uh yeah it's 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 a really great job yeah but that being said it's also very specific like if you're good if you're honestly i feel like if you're you have a good eye and you're a good lighter you won't want for work yeah when i was in the especially when i was freelancing in new york city i was like i couldn't stop the phones because there, there was such a need like there were so many modelers out there and animators but i kept hearing from studios no one had good lighters mm-hmm. so i feel like if it's a if it's something that you good at and you have that lighting is definitely a good longevity career i would say but that being said and I will mention that the mindset for an animator is very different than a mindset for a lighter. For instance, when I was in grad school, I knew instantly I was not meant to be an animator. I would like breeze through the animation part of it, like rigging animation, and I'd be like, oh, it's kind of moving. And then I'd spend like all my time on the, the visual, the, the look of it. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I was just like, I always knew I was meant to be, but then the opposite is many people. And you have a good analogy of like what when you know you might be a lighting person or an animator. Yeah. So if you're watching a film or you're watching an animated scene and you focus in on the performance, the character performance, uh, you're probably meant to be an animator. If you're more focused on the beauty of the image, the lighting, the set design, like all that stuff, you're probably meant to be a, a lighter. Because that was one thing. Yeah, I never paid attention to character performance when I was coming up. I was like, man, let's just look how beautiful those images are. Yeah, and I'm the same way. And what if you what if you focus on both? <laughs> well, then you can do everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, then then you're just making your own your own films on your own and you're killing it. Yeah. Well, and and I, I actually kind of I kind of had a sense that I wanted to be a director from the beginning, but I was very quashed on that. People would say, oh no, that's people will frown on you if you say that. And and all that, but uh, luckily I've I've gotten more courageous over time. So, <laughs> but yeah, that was really wonderful listening to you and in your about students and all of that. So, thank you, thank you for that. And oh, so something I thought of as you were talking is you said that there aren't any extra tools that that people have in the studios. And one thing I thought of was a color script. 
I think you're still right about that. I don't think it's really an extra tool because you still have to develop your eye. But it's fascinating what those color scripts do for you, like those uh, key lighting shots or, or when they do a key painting. Uh, it seems like they add, they give you a lot of ideas that you just wouldn't have on your own. And on my 2D theme layers, I, I worked with a lighting artist who did, you know, I guess she's a visual development artist. I would more call, I think she fits in that box better, but she, she did a few key paintings and then I filled everything out with a color script. And that was completely worth doing because there's so many things that I would just wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, we're, we're everybody, whether you're a lighter or an animator, whomever, you're here to deliver on the director's vision for the project, for the film. So the color scripts are incredibly beneficial as a communication tool yeah. for the director because they can, there are lots of times that we don't have them and the director will come and just be like, oh, we just need the, this to feel romantic. You're like, <sighs> Cool. And, yeah, yeah, and, and you're, you're always able to get there, but it's just it speeds up the process because it, it eliminates the uh, miscommunications. That's yeah. another one that that gets me too is when there is a color key, but there's been a a change along the way that was communicated to you. Like I've, I remember, like I, I was given a shot and this painting of this beautiful night scene, and I spent like two weeks putting it together, and I showed the the art director. He's like, Oh no, no, this is daytime now. It's like all he said. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, next shot. And I was just like crushed. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of change because of the story changed. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about your experience with a remote online school. My experience with that is I, I started out as a, doing my bachelor's and then I went into the online school and I just felt like I lost so much. But over time, it seems like the different schools, because there's more competition out there now, especially for animation. Uh, it started out with Animation Mentor for me, and then Anim School and I Animate came along. And Animate, Anim School even has a rigging program above that. And so, and then now you have a lighting school. So what, what do you think are the biggest things you've been able to do to overcome that hurdle? Uh, versus like the in-person? Yeah, in-person versus the online remote type of... Yeah, good. Well... One, I think online is so powerful because especially now with everyone's busy schedules and mainly location, right? Mm -hmm. Now no no one's confined to like, oh, I just don't live in the right place or I can't dedicate, you know, full time to going to school. So I think what it does, it, it opens it up so yeah. many people and makes it available and on their own time too. Right. So no longer are you hindered if you have to work full time because mm -hmm. a lot of people do or you have other commitments and you it gives you so I actually think honestly there's little downside to it compared to I will say traditional I guess in the plus side you're in a lab with the instructor right but for us, we've offset that with kind of a, it's, it's an online community that is, is only open to our students and they have the ability, they have access to us even more instead of once a week, yeah. they have access mm -hmm. to us 24 seven essentially. Yeah, yeah. And they can keep on, if they have a technical question, they can just ask us anytime. If they do work, they post it to the community and they get feedback within 24 hours mm -hmm. instead of having to wait like a week or something in a traditional school. So I actually think um, it allows students to actually to choose their own pace, to excel, grow even faster if they want to. Like they could keep on getting feedback multiple times a week instead of just that one isolated time. It opens it up to anyone really. Okay. So now anyone in the world can learn yeah. what from yeah. professional 
Well, that's and one that, of the reasons I'd like to do an online auction because a lot of times people have really explosive mm-hmm. living is a problem. Uh, maybe the congestion is a problem. Maybe people just want to be out in the open or maybe traveling. And the way technology is, is shifting, it seems like all you need is a, is an online connection sometimes. And you could you could work on a feature level film. Now, I think that where you run into problems is NDAs and all of that. Mm-hmm. And right. I, we've been thinking of solutions of how to how to navigate that. But uh, is there anything else? Is there anything else you'd like to add, Mike? Oh, I just want to reiterate the the um, the accessibility to people was something. So, I mean, we di- we didn't have this all figured out when we first started because we were we were debating like, should we do live classes? Should we do pre-recorded lectures? And what we discovered when we started getting out there and talking to people was the number of students that we have in Eastern Europe, in Asia, in but we I forget the number. We're up to like over forty countries where our students yeah. are. And so we decided that we wanted to do pre-recorded lectures so that they can watch them on their own time. So we're not isolating anybody out. It's really created this community of unique viewpoints that you wouldn't get if you were in New York or Los Angeles or Vancouver or something, where it's like everybody living in one place. It's like we have all of these uh, unique vantage points in the world and, and, and coming to it from these different areas. It's been it's been really, really uh, inspirational for us to, to see that in our community. Yeah, I think that's a... I, I usually do the Get Wiser moment at the end. <laughs> But uh, so the get wiser moment, I used to ask the question, what moral responsibility does a filmmaker have to the the world culture? And I usually get an answer that, you know, the intersecting point would be truth. We need to tell the truth as, as filmmakers and storytellers. And so my question is kind of modulating. If my goal is to get the highest clarity of truth into it, what approach would you recommend? And it sounds to me that having those variety of in, uh, inputs is actually one of the tools. I, I, I would say to get to truth. And to get to the best work possible, I think you need um, somebody that you can rely on for honest critique and feedback of, of you going through the process. And I, I can say that as Jasmine is my, my business partner uh, working through this. If I, if I come up with an idea for a, a, a model for a student to light or something, uh, Jasmine will definitely tell me when my ideas are <laughs> bad. And, 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 we, and I know that all the, the educators that, and, and all the filmmakers that I've thrived under are people that are honest with me about my work. And so we try to bring that energy to our students is that we will be um, honest and forthright in our critiques to them. We don't hold back as their students. We, we bring a studio level uh, critique to, to their work. So when we, because I know through experience that when you do that and at the end, if you say it's good, then they know it's good. Where if they're just like, oh yeah, if everything that gets posted, like, oh, that's great. So to get to, to, get to truth, I think you need uh, somebody that you can rely on to provide you with the honest feedback when you're going astray. Yeah. And it's nice with a community like yours that you've built with your students, they get multiple viewpoints and they can start to learn how to listen and, and kind of sift through it. Because sometimes you get a, a viewpoint that's not qualified, right? But if you start to hear something multiple times and you're like, oh, I think there might, might be some truth there. There might be something that I need to work on there or, uh, or whatnot. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. On that, on that subject, now it looks like for some reason, we have a timer ticking down here. So it's not, I, yeah. I was just like, Ooh. hopefully, hopefully that we'll get you back on if, if something happens okay. <laughs> and just edit that part out. But I would like to know what is a film that you've seen from each of you that has made a big impact on your life, like it caused you to think a lot about life and make life changes and because it had a high level of truth. Are you, are you looking for an animated film? Or? It could be animated. It could be, I, I prefer classic, <laughs> but it could be whatever you want. Questions uh, open. That's a hard one. You yeah. should have given us that question ahead. So I've got, so <laughs> it's an I'll, experiment. I'll you, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, give you one of, I'll give you one of each. From an animated standpoint, uh, Finding Nemo is the film that changed oh. everything for me. 
and not, not so much the film, but I, I looked at the behind the scenes of it and saw these artists going scuba diving off the coast of Australia. And, and yeah. they talked about how they, they, they use that reference to craft the different looks of the movie and how those different looks, depending on where the characters were uh, in the ocean, whether they were closer to Sydney or more in the open water, depending on how close they got to Sydney versus how far away. And they were using that reference to drive the mood of the film. And I was just blown away by that. I was, at the time, I had finished my undergrad. I, I was an art major with a focus in photography. Um, hmm. I was a little bit lost. I was just bartending and working random jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. And this was the first time I thought, oh, this is, a, this is what I want to do in my life. Uh, and so that was a real uh, a game changer for me. The other, like a classic film that I... I so a classic film that I always love is Rear Window. Oh. Uh, my all-time favorite film. Yeah. I just love the idea of story, telling a story from uh, one vantage point. And I'm always drawn to films that are, I, I want to use the word just smaller, like yeah. that live inside kind of one room for most of it. Like I, I really love 12 Angry yeah, Men. Yeah, I was going to mention 12 Angry Men. <laughs> yes, like all these, all these films that just kind of live in one space at one time, I think are, I think it's so cool. And I think it's, it allows you to dive really deep into the story. And as a storyteller. Yeah, it was just story at that point. Yeah, there's yeah. no. I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing to say as a computer graphics artist, like someone who's done, like who who could work on visual effects. And I want to say that, like you know, Lord of the Rings is my favorite. No, but it's like the the it's just just a strong story is something that I, as a fan of film. I, yeah, the last time I saw Twelve Angry Men, it was like, wow, I just went and saw some big budget film. I'm sure recently, <laughs> yeah. and this one moved me more. And they didn't yes. even move. To, they didn't go to all those fantastical locations with all the cool design, and you know, I. I and yet I was taken on a bigger journey emotionally, especially the moment where they're like talking about how the knife goes in, right? Yes. <laughs> and you're just like, you know, there's tension between them. They're like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, so, yeah, exactly. so brilliant in the storytelling. Yeah. Right. And, and, and uh, like the heat of the, like you, you just like, you, you could like watching it. I felt like I was hotter. Cause like all the characters are, I was like hiding their heads and turning fan on. It was like a hot summer day in New York yeah. and living in New York as we do. I can't imagine being in a building without air conditioning, I would, I, I would also try and stab yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> or at least think about it. <laughs> yeah, it would cross my mind for sure. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. What's, what's yours, Jasmine? The mine, I thought about it. I think mine would be Amelie. Oh, yeah. And, and then it has great lighting in it. <laughs> yeah. So, for, yeah, two reasons. I think it actually fulfills both of those. Because when that came out, it was right when I was graduating undergrad college. And I, I actually majored in economics. Okay. And, um, so I was going to these like finance, I banking, and when Amelie came out, one visually, I just remember like the vibrant colors, and it just looks so unique of um, like visually as a film compared to anything else that was going on. Yeah. And it was whimsical. It was just it just made me happy. It made me smile, and. The message, too, that I got from it is just kind of like going outside your comfort zone, going out if you just like kind of take a chance and it's never too late. Because at that point, I thought I was so old, right? I was graduating from college. I was like 21. I was like, oh, it's too late. I'll just get a job as a banker or in finance because that's stable. I was always taught as a kid that like I can never go into the arts living a life of suffering uh, to be dramatic about it. And after seeing that, like both, I realized like I just wanted to pursue a career because it was so inspiring. And two, I need to take a chance and go outside of my comfort zone yeah. and go for what I really want. And that's when I basically, that's that year is when I basically said, I am not going to be going to finance. I am going to go 
into the creative art field. And that's when I just I just started taking my classes on, on my own and I kind of stumbled onto 3D animation. It was never even like in my view before then, before I was 21. And I haven't looked back. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you did. No, yeah. I'm, looking back. <laughs> I'm so glad you did decide to. Yeah. So that's why I would choose Amelie for those. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about the colors too because they have such a limited color palette, right? They really they are do, very yeah. picky and choosy with what color they emphasize in each shot. Yeah, but it's designed that way. I know. It's so inspiring. And it's, yeah, it just, it's like, it caught my eye. That's one of the things about working in uh, films is you realize how much attention is, is paid to color. Like we just worked on a film called Spies in Disguise yeah. that came out around Christmas. And one of the things with that is we assigned certain colors for the film to certain characters. So like anytime there's a bunch of red, it was like this one villain was in the shot. Anytime there's a bunch of like this kind of cyan blue, that's when all the spies were around. And the story that I've always told and I, I, I tell it to our students is the film, The Emperor's New Groove. There's a, there's uh, the potion in the film is like this pink potion. And I talked to an artist who worked um, on that film and he talked about how when that potion was introduced, there was a conscious effort by the artist to pull warm tones out of the preceding shots leading up to that moment. So that it was just like, like the, the shots got bluer and bluer and bluer and bluer until boom, like they, they pulled this pink potion out and then it really like allowed it to jump out to the audience. And I just, and I, you can see it in films like Amelie, you can see it in, in all kinds of films, like how much attention and dedication goes toward the color script, oh, yeah. the color uh, palette of the films. One of the things that I enjoy most about what we do. Me too. I, color is one of my favorite things. <laughs> one of the things that I think I, I excel at, but I also... Uh... Love it. I love talking about it and the theory behind it. Brilliant, wonderful. We had Robert Kondo on, you know, who, who loves color. Learning about color and light from them is Evan Dice. So, because yeah, there's there's never like a ceiling to what you can learn about it. I learn. I know. Every day, all yeah. the time. It's so exciting. That's wonderful. So, for our last question, I, I usually ask the question like, "What can we do to make the industry a better place?" I actually wonder if a better version of the question would be. What would make this industry a better place for artists to work? I would say there's, there's uh, if I'm being completely honest, there's a lot of jobs out there that are temporary, mm-hmm. temporary yeah. jobs. It's a lot of like six month gigs, nine month gigs. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have a lot of friends who are, have families who have, who want to just settle down somewhere. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not always, there's not always an abundance of opportunities to get a stable job in this industry where you can right. really uproot somewhere. And also there's not always, um, especially for feature film, there's not always companies in the place of the world that you want to live, right? Like right. where your yeah. family is or where you're, yeah. you're, you're looking to be. So I would say more uh, stable job opportunities and more location. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. And I, I went through that myself. I moved all over the place, right? Yeah. And just about the time where I was ready to get a studio job that I could stay in for a while, I decided to start my own thing. But <laughs> it took a while. It was like a long process. It was hard for me and my wife to think, what's the future of our children? Like, <laughs> how's this going to be? And all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's a really great point. I really like that. So where, where would you like people to connect to you as we wrap up here? They can find us at academyofanimatedart.com. Mm-hmm. That's academyofanimatedart.com. Academyofanimatedart.com. They can find us there. They can get resources, assets, and reach out to us directly. 
I know there's like a free book on the on the website that you can get about breaking the industry. Yeah, there's and- a free ebook that that goes through the, our kind of our secret. So uh, for those that are listening that, that may not know, one of the, the the biggest part of applying for a job is your demo reel. It's the number one thing that because uh, experience helps, but the number one thing is they want to see the work that you've done. It's usually like a two to minute, two to three minute clip of your best work, and that's the first thing they review before anything else. So. We provide our insider secrets as to what makes a good lighting demo reel uh, in our ebook. And it's just based on our experience, based on countless review sessions of us sitting in those rooms and seeing mm-hmm. what uh, recruiters and hiring managers are looking for. Yes, yeah, so you can find that on our website, academyofanimatedart.com. Yeah. And in addition, another great asset that we provide are assets, mm-hmm. actual already modeled material um, shaded assets ready to go for you to light. And yeah, we do lighting yeah. challenges every month. Too, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that was, I mean, the reason why you probably don't find a lot of uh, lighting courses online is that lighting is a near the end of the pipeline. And so you have to have something to light. Right. Uh, for animators, I'm not saying it's easy to find a rigged character, but it's like, it's a little easier. And, and what we, so what we did is we set out to create the library, again, that we would want when we were learning lighting. This This asset library just full of different, uh, scenes and characters that are already textured, so you can you can download them and immediately start lighting and immediately uh, get going. So because it, it kind of simulates what you would get in the studio as close as we can. Mm-hmm. All right, wonderful. I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> it's really inspiring, and I'll be recommending your school for sure to people. So yeah, you can follow me at scottweiser.com/follow. That's my mailing list, and all the other all these links will be down in the show notes as well. If you're coming back to this show. And uh, tune in next time to see the director of Brave and Prince of Egypt, Brenda Chapman. And until next time, enjoy. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast, hosted by Scott Weiser, produced by Lauren Chaikin, audio version edited by Kiara Horowitz, copyright Scott Weiser, LLC, 2019.